Welcome to the Community Fellowship Podcast, your way to stay connected with biblically-themed messages, discussions, and interviews from Community Fellowship in East Bernard, Texas. Learn more about our church at the cfeb.church website, check us out on social media at CF East Bernard, or attend an in-person service at 635 Main Street in East Bernard. We are a local church that works to make the love of Christ for all humanity known to our community and the world. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this week's content. Well, several years ago, um, Emily came across something when our girls were a little bit younger at this time of Christmas. It was a really, really great idea, kind of a tradition this other family had started. And so we did what every great Christian family should do. We stole the idea. <laughs> um, so what it was is that they, for their children, they would have three gifts. There was a practical gift, something that they really needed. There was kind of a wish list gift, so something they had put on, you know, maybe it was their Amazon list or whatever, uh, but something they really, really wanted that might have been a little bit more costly. And then the last thing was that they would give a family gift, spending time together with the family. And that last one, that last one's been my favorite. In fact, a lot of our family even know that that's kind of the aim for us, is that we want to spend together uh, with our girls and just kind of celebrating and making great traditions. And so they will even buy us gifts that'll help us to do some of those fun things together as a family. But, you know, really that's what Christmas is all about, right? It's about being together with your family. It's about the presence of being together with one another. And that word presence is funny, right? Because if we were to ask the kids that were in here a few minutes ago, and we were to say, when I say the word present at Christmas, what do you think of? Everybody knows what they think of, right? They think of those gifts that are underneath the tree that are all wrapped up and really pretty, and they're anxious to see and what they are and what they're going to get. But there's another word that's really important for us, this idea of presence. That's why we kind of titled it Christmas Presence. And it's this idea of us being present with one another. And we said this a minute ago, but I just kind of want to stop because I know that there are people in our church who have dealt with loss. They've lost someone that they dearly love. Uh, it may have been this last year. It may have been the last few years. And I just want you to know, I am praying for you because I know this can be a difficult season. And I am praying that you will feel God's presence like nothing before, that you will be so wrapped up by his love. And the truth is, for us as a church, we need to kind of do some recognition here too, that there's, there's a part that we play. You know, we, we said this a minute ago, that we as a church, we have a value of focusing through family, excuse me, not focusing through family, not, not the focus on the family, but we're formed through family. We're formed through family, right? And the truth is, is that first part of that is that we are a church family. We see ourselves as a family. We care and we love for one another. So one of the things that we need to make sure that we're doing during this Christmas season, if we know those who are hurting and grieving that loss, we need to be present for them. We need to be around them. We need to be checking in on them. We need to see if there's anything that they need. We need to be inviting them into our own Christmas traditions because that's what family does, right? And so I just want to make sure that I encourage us as a church to make sure that we are looking to those who are hurting during this season. But the truth is, for all of us, there's one thing that's even more important than anything else I could say, and it's the idea that God's presence is with us, that God's presence, this idea that he is with us, God with us, Emmanuel. 
Because Jesus' presence changes everything. Everything is changed by Jesus being with us. He is the one who gives us hope. He's the one who gives us peace. He's the one who fills our hearts with joy, and he is the one who wraps us in his love. Well, this morning we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9. It's that same passage that we heard so sweetly spoken a minute ago by the Crumpton family. I loved it. Um, but we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9. So if you want to start turning there, the Old Testament book of Isaiah, that's where we're going to be this morning. Now, as we do this, I, I want to say this because this is a passage that's read often at Christmas time, um, and we're very familiar with it, and sometimes I think maybe a little too familiar with it, right? We kind of miss some of the things that are super important that Isaiah is trying to say. And so my hope is, is that we can kind of look at it with some fresh perspective this morning. Let's look at it with some new set of eyes, because what I want to do is I want to glean from three words in this text, okay? All right, let's read this together, starting in verse 1, chapter 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in darkness. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Okay, so to help us understand this passage, we've really got to understand what Isaiah is saying and who he's saying it to. Like, what, what is this all about? Now, first of all, we need to understand Isaiah, he was a prophet at the same time as some, many of the other prophets that we actually see in the scriptures. He's a contemporary of, of Amos of Hosea and Micah. So he's writing at the same time, and they actually are prophets at a very difficult time in the, in the nation of Israel's history. It's a very difficult time because the nation of Israel is divided. You might remember that they are, they are under one king when they have Saul as king and David and even Solomon, but after Solomon, they're fractured and they're broken into two different kingdoms. There's a northern kingdom of Israel and a southern kingdom of Judah. And so Two different kingdoms mean two different kings, right? So instead of being one unified nation, they're two separate nations, Israel and Judah. And while Judah had several kings that were God-fearing kings, Israel to the north had no king that feared God. There was no good king over Israel, zero. None of them actually worshipped the Lord God. And when Isaiah is writing this, he's actually speaking to one of those kings. His name is Ahaz, and he's not a good king in Israel. He's, he's actually a bad king. And so Isaiah is telling him, listen, the northern nation of Israel, you are about to be subjected from, by another nation. You're about to become basically exiles carried away into another place in Assyria. Now, all of Isaiah's prophecy is directly related to God's warning all the way back in Deuteronomy. Remember, we said this as we sang earlier, God keeps his promises, right? And so God had spoken a promise to the people of Israel. He said this when they were one unified nation as they were going into the promised land. Back in Deuteronomy 28, I'm going to read it to you. Here's what he said. He said, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands, I, that's Moses, that I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth. It's a good promise, but let's skip down. Verse 15, 
However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees, I, that's Moses again, that I'm giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. So here's some of the curses. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You will come at them from one direction, but flee from them in seven. And you will become a thing of horror to all the kingdoms on earth. Skip down a little further. The Lord will drive you and the king you set over you to a nation unknown, to you or your ancestors. There you will worship other gods, gods of wood and stone. So God told them exactly what was going to happen. God himself had prophesied that they were going to be taken by other nations and become subjects of those other nations. Now, here's the thing. God always, always, always keeps his word. He keeps his words. If he says it, he's going to do it. Now, we have any uh, dads in here that have a son and a daughter? A son and a daughter. Okay, okay. I've got old girls, and I just want to kind of ask this question. Um, is it difficult to kind of discipline them the same way? Like, do you find yourself having a hard time with that? Because here's the thing. As a dad of girls, it's super hard for me to discipline my children. I've always said, listen, if I had boys, it'd be easy, you know? I'd be like, you need to go, you're grounded. No, you're not having the car. No, none of that. Like, you don't get anything. I'm taking it all away from you. But when you have girls, it's very different. These girls are like, oh, daddy, please. And I'm like, okay, sweetheart, whatever you want. <laughs> right? They've got me wrapped around their fingers. And that's when Emily has to come in and she gives them the, no, I'm just joking. She doesn't really, she doesn't really do that. But you see, with God, he has no empty threats. What God says he's going to do, he will do. There are no empty threats with God. So this is the backdrop of what Isaiah's message is that we read right here in chapters 8 and 9, okay? God's going to let his people suffer because it was the natural consequence of their rebellion. He said that it was going to happen. So he allows that judgment to happen. It's kind of that old expression, right? It's time to pay the piper. Time to pay the piper. So Israel, the northern kingdom, they fall first to Assyria, like we said, um, just as Isaiah, was gonna, as Isaiah prophesied to them. And then they're taken into captivity. And then Judah is going to fall about 150 years later. They're going to fall to the nation of Babylon. So all of Israel, all of God's chosen people are now in bondage, now taken away into exile they're stripped of their home. They're stripped of their identity. And even God's holy temple, the place where they believed and they trusted that God's presence rested, is eventually destroyed. Not a good picture. Not a fun thing. So for the 39 chapters of Isaiah, it's filled with this judgment on God's people. But Isaiah can't help but drop a little sliver of hope. He drops this little sliver of hope in his writing, and that's exactly what we pick up on, on 8 and 9. 8's kind of got this dismal near future, but 9's got this really promising future for Israel. So I want to look at the text a little bit deeper. Let's look at it a little bit deeper. So since the northern kingdom fell, Isaiah is prophesying in, in chapter 9 to them first. He gives them the first thread of hope for the distant future, even though the pastor says these people are distressed, and in darkness, right? That's what we read about in this passage. Now, we see two tribes mentioned. We see Zebulun and Naphtali. And, I, and you might remember that when God's people go into the land of Canaan, and Joshua takes them in across the Jordan River, that they get to divide the territory. 
And so Zebulun and Naphtali have the most northern provinces, the most northern territories, when the nation is divided for all of the tribes of Israel. So they are part of that northern kingdom of Israel. So that's why the text says that right there. Okay? So the northern kingdom, so, so to these, this northern kingdom, um, a people who've been oppressed, a people who have uh, been taken away from their home, uh, a people who have been stripped of their identity, Isaiah offers this hope. He says, there will be no more gloom. Now, I recognize that uh, in our church, there might be some of you that came in this morning and you barely made it here. I'm not talking about the children, like, you know, kind of slowing you down to get you here. I'm talking about the fact that, like, you almost don't even see a point, right? This season kind of gets you a little bit depressed, and you, you, you kind of feel the weightiness of that gloom, and you're just kind of like, what's the point of even being here this morning? And I just want to say this to you. This passage offers us so much hope. Please hear it. Please hear the hope that this passage offers us. Because the truth is, every single one of us have actually suffered under oppression as well. Now, it may not have been to be carried away into exile, but Paul is very clear that you and I, we were slaves as well. He tells us in Romans 6 that we were slaves to our own sin. We did what sin told us to do, and we had no power over it. That's what happens when you're a slave, right? You don't have any power to do anything. You don't get to go to the boss and say, hey, boss, I don't, I don't really like the way you're doing that. The boss is like, I don't care. I'm the boss, right? And that's what sin did to us. It owned us. We had to do what it wanted us to do, whether that was greed or pride, envy, lust, all of those things. It owned us. We did what it told us to do because it controlled us. And that feeling of hopelessness that sometimes you feel, that, that, that wondering if things are ever actually going to get better, that wondering if this really is all that there is, that's the presence of the next thing that sin brings. It's knocking on our door. It's the presence of death. Because where there's sin, there's death. And death is the separation from experiencing and understanding the goodness and the love of God. And that's what sin brought to us. It's brought to us this death. But it's also the separation from life-giving relationships. This is what else sin brings into us. Now, please hear me. I'm not trying to trivialize anybody's pain in here this morning. I am not trying to do that. But here is the truth. Sin is the cause of all human heartache. Every pain that you walked in here with this morning is the result of sin. As Christians, this is what we believe, that when sin entered into existence, that everything in creation was broken, including our relationship with others. It was broken. Now, look at how Isaiah describes this condition. He uses that word gloom. Remember I said there were going to be three words we look at? He uses this word gloom. And in Hebrew, the word is muaf. To me, it was kind of like an onomatopoeia. You know what an onomatopoeia is? Where it sounds like, yeah, right? So it was like an onomatopoeia. I could just see somebody who's just depressed and just distressed and just with a sigh of, muaf. Right? You can kind of feel it and hear it with them. But it's worse than that. Okay? It's worse than just the sigh because the word actually means to be covered in darkness. Completely dark. It's like these people 
are blind. That's what Isaiah is saying. They're blind. I read a story this week uh, of a young girl who went to bed totally fine one evening, uh, and she woke up and she was completely blind. She couldn't see anything. Uh, She was terrified, scared to death, yelling out for her mom, uh, grasping just to try to understand. Uh, The doctor said it was a temporary blindness that she had been inflicted with, and she couldn't find anything. And, And she was completely paranoid, completely worked up until she heard her mother's voice. Because the presence of her mom gave her comfort. It comforted her. Look at what Isaiah says. He's telling them in this passage that those who are in gloom, they are no longer going to be blind. They're no longer going to be in darkness. That that gloom is going to be completely taken away. Remember, God keeps his promises. He keeps his promises just like He kept the promise of the judgment they were going to experience. When he says, I am going to take your gloom away, you can take it to the bank that he's going to do it. He is going to keep his promises. And for those of us who've trusted in the incarnate Jesus, the God who became flesh, who lived in a physical body and took on sin and death by dying on the cross, we have an incredible hope. We have the hope that our gloom, Our darkness, the effect of sin, those broken relationships, all the pain that you're experiencing, we have the hope that it has been taken away forever. It's been taken away forever. And Isaiah goes on to explain how. He says, this is how the gloom is taken away. What's the only thing that can remove darkness? You got it. Light, right? And that's what he says. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Well, we, uh, over Thanksgiving, we were in Arkansas. Um, and every night, we would have to walk our girls, I would walk the girls, over to the, the cabin that they were staying in because my parents had, uh, they have a um, house on, um, by, right by the river, and then across the street, a few kind of houses down, there's another cabin that they own where um, my girls were staying. And so every evening, it was really, really dark. Listen, y'all, it gets dark in EB, but it gets real dark in the Ozarks in Arkansas, okay? And so I would walk them and make sure they had gotten to their, their bunkhouse and that they were, you know, kind of set up for the night. And then I'm, I'm so grateful that I had the little flashlight that I had, okay? Because listen, I am a 42-year-old grown man, but still, whenever I turn to go back home, just a few, like, few houses down the way, just the sounds, it's terrifying in the dark, Right? I'm so grateful that I had that little flashlight because I could, you know, if I heard a sound, I was able to, you know, go it around wherever it was. And I, I just was so grateful. It was comforting. It brought me hope because I had that little bit of light, right? Because that's exactly what light does. It's exactly what light does. It warms. It comforts. It helps reveal what we can't see. It helps give us direction. And there's only one thing that Isaiah could be referencing when he says the light. There's only one thing. It has to be the Messiah. It has to be the Messiah. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, Jesus' life shown through the gospel writers is our light. 
Jesus helps us see our own sinfulness. He helps us see our own pride, our judgmentalism, our hypocrisy. Jesus' life gives us direction on how we're supposed to live. Remember in the 90s, we had those WWJD bracelets? They're kind of making a comeback now, right? Remember, it stood for what would Jesus do? Why do we ask that question? Because his life was an example to us of how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to relate to someone, how we're supposed to respond in situations. I mean, how did Jesus respond when someone lied about him to somebody who was a superior? Or how is Jesus going to respond whenever he's invited to eat with somebody who has a really poor reputation in town? Or how did Jesus respond when a friend couldn't pay back a debt that they owed? Jesus gives us that example. So as Christians, we have hope that the light, who is Christ the Messiah, reveals how to live a better life. How to live a better life. So often during Christmas, we remember Jesus' first advent. We, we look at the manger scene. Uh, we, we talk about the nativity. But the truth is, Advent's not a season about Jesus' first coming. It's for us looking forward to his second coming. This is what Advent's about. It's about looking forward to when Jesus is going to return. And right now we live in this time of flux. The theologians, they call it the already but the not yet, Right? We live in already but not yet. We live in between when Jesus came the first time and defeated sin and death and inaugurated his kingdom and the second coming when he comes and he's going to make all things right. He's going to make them the way they're supposed to be. Because if we're honest right now, we still feel the pain of sin. We still feel the sting of death. But our hope is in Jesus' return when he puts everything right. Now look back at the passage again. It says this, On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. There are two things I really quickly want us to see from this, this little phrase. Okay? So that phrase, the, 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 those living in the land of deep darkness, it's exactly the same phrase, the same Hebrew wording as the very familiar to you probably, Psalm 23, where David says, Though I walk through the valley of death. It's the same exact phrase. And that's important because of what we're going to see next, the next little phrase, right? Because here's what Isaiah is essentially saying. Those living in the land of death have seen the sunrise. They've seen the first light. Because here's the question that I asked myself as I kind of looked at this text and I was kind of observing from the text. I asked myself, why is it dawn for them? Why isn't it noonday when it's the brightest, Right? When the sun's at its brightest and at the highest, why isn't it noonday? Why is it dawn? And I thought, perhaps because the slightest sliver of light coming across the horizon when you've lived in darkness for 400 years brings the greatest hope because you know that the sun is just going to continue to rise. It's going to continue to go up into the sky. That light is just the beginning. This life, church, is just the beginning. It's just the beginning. It's the preview for what we were really created for, unbroken relationship with God. 
this life is not the end. Contrary to so many in our culture who say, hey, grab everything you can before you die. Just, you know, money, success, fame, just grab it all. Grab it all before you die, because that's it. We as Christians know better than that. We know that this is not the end. As followers of Jesus, there's something better, something deeper. We know that there's something more, and we have this hope. We have hope that the dawn, Christ's first arrival, will ultimately lead to his second. He came the first time. He keeps his promises. He's going to come again. And that life, that second coming life, that's what we were created for. That's what we were created for. Has relationship with Jesus begun already? Yes, absolutely. But only in part. Remember, it's the already, but not yet. Already, but not yet. The only way that we can have this kind of hope for this life and for the next is because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because of what he has done. All hope is birthed from character. The person of Jesus. What he said, what he's done. And listen to what Paul says in Romans 5. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. Our hope is in the character of God who keeps his promises, amen? The promise of the Messiah the first time who came as the light revealing to us how we're supposed to live, saving us from sin and death and the promise of the Messiah to return again. He will come back. And the only question that we have to ask ourselves, where is your hope? Where is your hope? Is it in the character of God or is it in something else? Because only one will not disappoint. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much. You are a God who is trustworthy. You are a God who keeps his word. God, that even in the midst of our circumstances, when things are hard and difficult and there's pain that surrounds us, you keep your promise. God, help all of us during this season to be reminded that this is not the life that we were created for. We were created for second life. When you come back, when you return and we get to be with you forever, but God, also in this moment, as we live here in the already and the not yet, would you help us to live like Jesus lived? Help us to follow his example that we would do and be and act and live and love and talk like he did. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for Jesus' advent. We pray this in his name. Amen. If you have questions about this week's message or would like to start a conversation with someone about what it means to walk with Christ, please email pastor at cfeb.church. You can find earlier episodes of our podcast on our website at cfeb.church, where you can also give online to help support community fellowship 
in our mission to reflect and share Christ's love. We can also be found on many major distribution platforms like Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe to stay connected. Thank you again for listening. Now go out and love one another like Jesus did.